If Washington wants to get right with voters, it has to start listening to them. Welcome to Beyond the Bubble. It's Donald Trump's first postmortem defeat week, and I'm Kristen Roberts, Washington editor for the 30 news organizations all around America that together make McClatchy. Every week, we call the senior correspondents who live and work in political battleground states and ask them to open their notebooks for you to tell you about how voters are reacting to Donald Trump, the GOP Congress, and the actions coming out of this Capitol that affect your lives. On the hook this week are Patty Mazay of the Miami Herald and Bud Kennedy of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Oh, Patty Mazay, it's so good to hear your voice again. Hola, Cristin. Hola, ¿cómo estás, niña? Todo bien. Todo bien. ¿Qué pasa, Miami? Hace calor. Plus, I like how you say it right, too, Miami. Miami. Cuban style. What do you want to talk about today? Of course, we have to do a health care postmortem. What happened? And where does the Republican Party and President Trump go from here? Talking about congressional Republicans, I'm so interested in talking about the divide among them. Where are the Bush Republicans? And where will all those factions line up in the 2018 election? We go to that in our lightning round. Before we start, I want to say thanks for all the great feedback we're getting. Please keep sending your questions and your ideas and tell us what's happening in your state. Email us at btb at That's btb as in beyond the bubble. Let's get started. January 20th. The day the people became the rulers of this nation again. Our ideals and fundamental values are being attacked. Do we retreat or do we fight? I say we fight. He heard those voices that were out there that other people weren't hearing, and he just earned a mandate. It is time for Democrats to grow a backbone and get out there and fight. The American people would like to try something new. We would like to see the country go in a different direction to change the course for America. He doesn't take this presidency seriously enough. So to all Americans, hear these words. You will never be ignored again. Welcome to our show, Bud Kennedy of the Star-Telegram. Thanks for being with us. Hello from Texas. And welcome back to Anita Kumar, White House correspondent. Thanks. Glad to be here. So glad we have a new voice on the podcast. Oh, I am too. And hi, Katie Glick. Welcome back. Hi. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. Let's get started. Donald Trump felt his first defeat as the president of the United States and perhaps even as a politician when the GOP failed in their very first attempt to unwind the Affordable Care Act. Trump threatened his members. He issued an ultimatum that Obamacare would be left standing if they didn't give him his bill, and it just didn't work. Let's listen here to Mick Mulvaney. He is the guy running the Office of Management and Budget. And I think there's probably plenty of blame to go around. As we sat over the last two days and tried to figure out what happened, I think what happened is that Washington won. I think the one thing we learned this week is that Washington was a lot more broken than President Trump thought that it was. What you have is the status quo wins, and unfortunately, the folks back home lost. You can, you can. Anita, what went wrong with the White House strategy? There were so many things I don't actually know where to start. They rushed through. They only did this in about three weeks. Lawmakers really wanted to talk intricate policy detail, and Trump wanted to talk politics. He's not steeped in the details of the policy, so that made sense, but he left it all basically to the Hill. He left it to House Speaker Paul Ryan to kind of go through the details, and he really needed to be negotiating the details with the lawmakers who were there. And I think he really erred in that he gave this ultimatum, which came straight out of his book, The Art of the Deal, where he said to the House Freedom Caucus, the conservative band of uh, lawmakers on the Hill in the House, 
he said, you know, if you if you don't go for this, you're just going to have Obamacare. You're just going to have the existing health care legislation. And it seemed a little smart, but then they were sort of turned off by that. They, they thought his bluff. Yeah. If they did take his deal, they would have looked weak. And they didn't like that very That's much. That's not the only thing that he did. He actually threatened to go after them electorally. He said, you're going to have a big problem in 18 if you don't get on board with this. Patty, what's the reaction among the Florida delegation or even voters in Florida to the way that Trump approached this bill? Well, the Florida delegation is kind of all over the place, as the Florida delegation tends to be, because it's such a big delegation in such a big state. In South Florida, we had, you know, leading opposition on the moderate end against the bill, And then we had a couple of moderates kind of walk this line of, I don't want to take a position or I'm a no. Well, I'm really a yes because I met with the president of the White House. But then we had some really kind of striking quotes, I thought, after the fact from some other Florida Republicans. So we had Matt Gates, who's from the Florida Panhandle. He told Politico something along the lines of, I don't think we could pass a Mother's Day resolution now in Congress (laughs) because that's how divided Republicans are. And then we had a very frank assessment from Tom Rooney, who's from Southwest Florida, who's kind of a Marco Rubio Republican, um, who's been in Congress for eight years. And he said, I can't think of anything positive that we have done in my time here. And how can we keep justifying coming here and doing this? Which I just thought was really candid, like in the middle of the heat of the moment, like these assessments of uh, gloom and doom after this defeat. But how is this playing out in Texas? Well, you see, it's it's uh, fracturing Texas. Texas, of course, was once a, a very Ted Cruz supporting state, but uh, Donald Trump was able to make some inroads here. And one of Donald Trump's original backers was Congressman Michael Burgess, a doctor from Denton who helped write the plan and craft it. So a lot of the Texas lawmakers had gotten on board and signed on with it, even though a few, like Louis Gohmert and, and some of the Freedom Caucus, were still distrusting. Now you see what's happened afterward. All to our Ted Poe from Houston, who's a former judge, quit the Freedom Caucus, says he doesn't want to be part of that anymore. Texas is still in this fracturing mode where they're not sure whether to go with Trump or tear him down. Katie, is that consistent around the country, this division between Republicans who are with Trump and those who are starting to wonder whether they should still be with Trump? Absolutely. Uh, You know, I think there's no question that despite the victories up and down the ballot for the Republicans in November, this remains a very fractured Republican Party. And that was very much on display in the debate over this health care bill. You know, it managed to alienate moderates, it alienated conservatives, also alienated a lot of the American public that was not supportive of this bill. And ultimately, it failed in a pretty uh, spectacular public defeat. And so now you have a lot of Republicans sort of engaging in that kind of circular firing squad, lots of finger pointing, lots of blaming. And uh, that sort of Republican civil war that seemed like it had been brushed under the rug a little bit with the victories in November seems like it's back in full force. So Anita, what is next on Trump's agenda? He didn't get the thing that he wanted. Where does he go now? Tax reform is the thing that they're talking about, and it's the thing that Donald Trump has been wanting to do. They also have a couple big things that they've got to deal with before. And one, at the end of April, the government stops having enough money to run. And don't discount that as a boring Washington thing, (laughs) because just a couple years ago, the government did shut down and it was totally chaotic. And they've got a huge rift right now about the funding or defunding of Planned Parenthood that's wrapped up in this. And this is where the Freedom Caucus is going to differ from moderates and Democrats, and they've got a real problem. The other big thing that's going on is Neil Gorsuch. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but this is the Supreme Court nominee, 
And Democrats, end of last week, threatened a filibuster, which means Republicans may not have the votes. And Donald Trump needs that win big time. The Gorsuch story is one that's going to play out over the next two weeks. And then we will be done with that, will we not? We will. I mean, we'll see what the Democrats end up doing if they really go through on their threat and what's going to happen. The one thing that will resonate is that there are many conservative Democrats that are really on the fence. They won't say what they're doing. I think last I saw Claire McCaskill hadn't said she might have said by now. But I mean, there's a lot of conservative Democrats that are really worried. So it's going to resonate later, but it's going to resonate at the ballot box. It's interesting to me that the White House seems committed to just putting health care behind it. I don't know that lawmakers are that committed to that. And I certainly don't think Republican voters are going to be pleased with the idea that it's try once and give up. It's interesting. I talked to a lot of folks this weekend at the White House and Trump advisors in and outside the White House who said they took it harder than Donald Trump. He was ready to move on, sort of, we wrote a story the other day, sort of how a businessman does. He lost and he's moving on. The aides were devastated. I mean, they were really thinking, hey, we're in the White House, we have Congress, we're going to win this thing we've been talking about for seven, eight years now. And so they're really doing some soul searching on how to move on. They know what to move on to, but the question is, how do they move on? And some of the things they're talking about are taking more time, (laughs) not rushing through, um, actually writing policy at the White House, which Donald Trump doesn't like to do. And also, you heard uh, the chief of staff talking this weekend about whether they start talking to Democrats, which they really did not do on health care at all. But is this going to be good enough for voters in Texas to try once on health care and then walk away from it? Well, of course, Texas did not accept the Medicaid dollars. So Texans have never been as invested in in the Obamacare plan as uh, states like Ohio and some others. Texas is one of the states where Governor Abbott and the leaders here have said that uh, we're staying out of all this. We don't want anything to do with it. They even banned agencies from participating or helping sign up people for Obamacare. So Texas has pretty much seceded on, on, the, on this already. Texas uh, leaders want it repealed. On the other hand, Texans have shown in town halls across the state, some with turnouts of hundreds and, and even thousands, that they support having uh, some sort of universal health care and some sort of health care plan. And Texas is in this state of a political shift right now where the, uh, where the supporters of health care right now are beginning to outnumber the people who say they'd like it repealed. God, isn't that interesting? Now, Patty, Florida is one of those interesting states where there continues to be more than one insurer participating, but you've also got a governor who's not supportive. How does the fact that the White House tried once appears willing to give up play in Florida? Well, and there are areas of the state where there is only one insurer. I mean, in the Florida Keys, for example, uh, which is considered a rural area and and they have trouble getting uh, medical coverage to begin with. Ileana ross Leighton, who was one of the leading opponents of the law on the moderate side, told me on Friday that legislative battles never end. That to say that we're turning the page and moving on is just not true in a legislative body, especially on such big an issue. She said we have, you know, 20 months or however long left in this Congress. There's no reason we can't come back to this. And, uh, you know, I think some people really want to break from this issue. Like in Texas, how Bud said, we've seen a lot of people come out to town halls to support Obamacare. This is a state that had, you know, the highest number of people enroll in the federal marketplace. 
because there were so many people who were uninsured. So I think perhaps we'll see a break. I would not say that this is done, and that I don't think that conservative voters are ready for it to be done either. And Republican strategists really do not want this to be done. I was speaking uh, with one this morning who you know, felt that this was uh, not a strong bill, not a popular bill, but was incredulous that the president and, and this Republican Congress could not get something done. Um, he said that if there is not some sort of resolution on this issue by the time the, you know, the midterms come around, the Republican base is going to be very deflated. I mean, this promise to repeal Obamacare is something that Republicans have been running on for seven years. They control every lever of power in Washington. And you know, many of these Republican strategists who are looking down the road at how this is going to play in the midterms are incredulous and outraged that on this first big test that wasn't even supposed to be a test within the, the Republican coalition, that they couldn't get this done. And they also say uh, this person in particular, as well as a number of other strategists and, and operatives with whom I've spoken over the last couple of days, say, not only is this potentially problematic in the midterms, but uh, it really throws into question, you know, what Trump is going to be able to get done in Congress, because this was supposed to be the first big win. You know, all the Republicans agreed that you got to repeal Obamacare. And if they couldn't do this, the, you know, the next fights look even harder, potentially. I talked to three former Obama staffers yesterday, and their reaction was happy, of course. You would expect that. Giddy, actually. But also really relieved. They really did think something was going to go through. This was a big, big legacy for Barack Obama. And so they were just thrilled by that. But they were also sort of humble. And it surprised me. They all said without me asking, they know that it's going to come back and that they're going to have to make some tweaks and deal with fixing some problems in Obamacare. So that was surprising to me. Even the Democrats think it's going to come back. Though, interestingly, a couple of the Republican strategists I've been speaking with have said that, you know, Republicans own this issue now, too. You know, for a long time, um, the whole posture was, you know, it's Democrats, Obamacare, and so they own all of the problems that may arise with the exchanges. But now that Republicans are in control and, you know, they had a bill to take it on and, and they weren't able to get something done, you know, even these Republican strategists are privately acknowledging, like, this is a Republican issue, too. Compromise is coming back to Washington? Ah, I don't know. <laughs> all right, let's get to the next segment. This White House now clearly understands that Election Day victory did not mean the end of the divide within the Republican Party. The split between traditional Republicans and conservatives is what doomed Speaker Boehner. Now there's a split between Trump loyalists and conservatives. But, Katie, can you please help our listeners understand what are the factions within the Republican Party that are at war with one another? Sure. Uh, there's a lot of them, but um, sort of the broad way to understand it is, you know, certainly you have the Trump loyalists who no matter what he says, uh, you know, they are hardcore supporters and they are with him. There are the ideological conservatives. You know, some of these folks uh, were members of this very conservative Freedom Caucus uh, within Congress that helped doom the health care bill. There's many people who belong to this category who are also associated with very influential conservative outside groups that also put on the pressure against this health care bill. Like Heritage? Uh, exactly. Like okay. Heritage, Club for Growth, Americans for Prosperity, the whole Koch brothers network. Then you also have um, sort of the more centrist, center-right, moderate, establishment, a lot of different names for them. But those Republicans who were very comfortable with Jeb Bush, who liked Marco Rubio, who, whether they ended up supporting Donald Trump or not, and some did, some didn't, are very uncomfortable with him. This health care bill actually saw all of these different factions uh, fighting with each other. You had moderates opposed to the conservatives and the Trump loyalists opposed to all of them. And ultimately, interestingly, it was those two factions, the moderates and the conservatives 
conservatives, the far-right conservatives, who ended up dooming that bill. What's interesting is that so much of the conversation in the past couple of weeks has been about the Freedom Caucus members, the, right. the ideological purists, if you will, among conservatives. We haven't been hearing about Jeb Bush or the rest of the Bush clan or the Romneys, you know, the people who are more traditional, quote unquote, establishment conservatives. And as we start to talk again about the 2018 election, we have to necessarily talk about them. Patty, where is Jeb Bush? He gave his kind of first big in-depth local interview over the weekend, basically since dropping out of the presidential race. And while he wasn't talking about health care specifically, he did note, because this was before the actual vote, that so many in the Republican majority in Congress had never had to pass a bill, like had never had to govern, had never had to be in power, and that there was obvious trouble without having a leader who had known how to do that either. I mean, they ha- you basically have untested members of Congress and an untested president and a House speaker who is trying to wrangle them all together. And he offered his first kind of criticism of Trump. I think he didn't want to be too critical. He was a little mixed reviews trying to say, well, he was good to try to uh, end some of this regulatory burden on business. And he liked some of the appointments like Gorsuch, like Betsy DeVos at Education. But then he offered uh, some unsolicited advice to the president, and that was he should stop saying things that aren't true. So he's got a, a lot of work to do, and some of these things, the wiretapping and all this stuff, is a complete distraction that makes it harder to accomplish the things I know he wants to do. And I hope he learns that it's one thing to do it as a can- candidate where you're garnering you know, huge following on Twitter and people go to massive rallies where people clearly love him. Another thing is, when you're the president, your words have consequences that go way beyond that. And, Were you one of those? <laughs> <laughs> That's advice we've heard before. That's a, that is quite a jab. In Jeb style, it did not feel like a zinger, but um, he he but just said kind of respect. Respect. <laughs> but in retrospect, he said, yeah. you know, the president is a distraction in and of himself. Like he just can't stop getting in his own way, essentially. But jump in here. Where are the Bush Republicans in Texas? Well, it's interesting in Texas because you have the the two chambers of the legislature are dominated essentially by the two factions. The Senate is run by Dan Patrick, who ran Trump's campaign in Texas. They're essentially Trump Republicans, and they're pushing hardline sanctuary cities policies that not only would uh, penalize local officials who don't comply with federal immigration requests, but uh, you know, also would send them to prison if they don't do what the federal government requests as far as immigration. On the other hand, the House in Texas is run by Joe Strauss, who's a Bush family friend, and the House is interested in focusing on the budget, child protective services, education, you know, finding more money and ways to make government work better. So you have a, a Senate of Trump loyalists who are more concerned about some political and, and some more populist causes, and then the House is more of trying to make government work. You still have George P. Bush out there, Jeb's son, who's a comptroller, who's looming down the ballot in Texas politics, who may have ambition on higher office and may be looking for his opening. But essentially, you have a, a battle between the people who want government to work better and the people who want to overturn the government. And it's all playing out in the two chambers in Texas. I like how you say he may have ambitions, because <laughs> in, in Miami, we just assume everything Jeb does is to protect P's future uh, runs, whatever that may be for. So. Yeah, P is <laughs> the nice next Bush president. Yes. What George P. Bush is up against <laughs> is that in Texas, because of the changing demographics, you know, Republicans probably will have four to eight more years of this 
essential free ride in the general election. Elections in Texas are decided by the 500,000 people who vote in the Republican primary. That's in a state of 28 million. The Republican primary winners win all the seats in Texas. There hasn't been a statewide Democrat elected in uh, you know, close to 30 years now. So, you know, but from all indications, the demographics show that that will change probably within about two more election cycles. The question, of course, is whether Republicans' insistence on sanctuary city policies will accelerate that time frame. I'm very interested to see how Greg Abbott runs his re-election campaign because uh, my understanding is that he vastly overperformed uh, Trump, especially with, with the Latino Republican voters. So very interested to see you know, what efforts are made by other Texas Republicans to course correct for sort of Trump's shortfall there. Well, Greg Abbott and John Cornyn are the ivory tower Republicans in Texas. They uh, don't have to align with any faction because they have 70 percent popularity. No one else is even close. Ted Cruz, nowhere close. Uh, Ted Cruz, in one recent poll, was less popular than Barack Obama in Texas. Wow. <laughs> when was that from? <laughs> that, that was, I think, from uh, public policy priorities about four months ago. But uh, wow. Abbott and Cornyn have extremely high popularity. Abbott has great uh, crossover appeal. Of course, his, his wife is Latina from a family in Monterey. And so you know, he, he's able to, to make great contact with conservative Latinos who can reach that 40 percent threshold of Latino voters that Republicans need in order to maintain control. Uh, Abbott has, uh, is very delicately uh, walking uh, the fine line on politics right now. He is not siding with or against either side in these battles. He is uh, just kind of rising above it all and waiting to, for the legislature to send him bills. But he's not giving any indication of whether he is on the, the Trump side or the Bush side of most issues. But he can't afford to be less conservative than Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor. He, he has to act conservative. That's why he has a whole lot of gun rallies and, and gun events, so he can reach out to the Bubba's in Texas and keep the Bubba's <laughs> on his side. Look ahead at 18 for me. How are establishment Republicans, Katie, going to play in this race? I think it is a race by race basis. But, you know, interestingly, I think especially uh, on the Senate front, you saw a lot of senators, um, you know, whether it was Rob Portman, whether it was John McCain, who, even if they were running with Donald Trump on the ticket, were very careful to create their own brands separate and distinct from Donald Trump and in some cases ended up outperforming him. And so when you don't have Donald Trump on the ticket, you know, there's certainly, again, that opportunity, at least theoretically, for more of these sort of centrist models. Republicans, maybe from, from the more establishment wing of the party, to assert themselves. That said, Donald Trump makes a lot of news. And so the flip side is how much are all of these Republicans who are going to be running in 2018 going to be held responsible for things going on in Washington? And, and to what extent does that make that more challenging to create their own brands? Anita, as the White House postmortems the last week in Washington and thinks about what it needs to do to get itself on track. Are they really broadening out the number of sources of information that they're taking in, the number of people that they're talking to? You mentioned earlier this idea that the White House thinks it might actually have to start engaging Democrats on some of these big issues to get anything done. Are they also engaging the Republicans that have been set aside? So is Donald Trump calling Jeb Bush? I think the answer is no. <laughs> no to no one's surprise there. But what I did hear from several former George W. Bush folks this weekend was that they are calling. 
they are talking to them, but they're not really talking to them about what you think. It's not about policy. It's about operational. And don't discount that. <laughs> um, basically, there are a lot of people in the White House right now who have never worked in a White House. And half of what went wrong with health care really was operational, and they need to fix those things. They didn't have a plan for how to go about and get the votes. And so they are reaching out. And I had one person who told me that they're reaching out more and more than they have in the last couple months. As the months have gone on, they've reached out more. And remember, they've hired more people that are from the RNC that got their start in the Romney campaign or the Bush campaign. And they have a big connection to George W. Bush's presidency in that the deputy chief of staff for operations, Joe Hagan, did the same job for George W. Bush. And so what they're asking them is how to get a bill through. And, and I don't mean that in a joking, sort of a s- simple schoolhouse rock way. I mean, <laughs> when we have this policy, how should we engage people? And so I think some of that will impact policy, but it's mostly operational. And I will say, I spoke with a couple of these more centrist Republicans uh, who were, were big fans of the Romneys of the world and the Bushes of the world um, over the weekend, and they were taking a look at this health care debacle and saying, you know, this is exactly what we warned about, um, you know, speaking to that question of would someone with no government experience be able to get something done? And they were quite critical of uh, the job that we saw on Friday. I found it interesting that this weekend, right on the heels of that big health care defeat, the thing we hear out of the White House is that Jared Kushner is going to be launched launching a SWAT team to bring more business practices into the federal government. Maybe they need to bring some government people back into the federal government. Well, they still haven't gotten there, quite gotten there. Actually, or that's not the true. Yeah, they have hired some people. But yes, Katie hit it right there. <laughs> they said this week, we are going to see a lot of action this week. Uh-huh. There are executive orders. He's doing a bill signing. I mean, they want to change the subject and move on. I want to pause here for a second just to make a quick nod to an initiative that we are a part of for an entire month, and it's all about raising awareness of podcasts. Our executive producer, Davin Coburn, brought this idea to me, and I said, of course we should do this. We are podcast lovers. We are. It's a chance to partner with NPR and The New York Times and Gimlet and Radiotopia, basically everyone who makes major podcasts. And the idea here is for everyone who listens to podcasts to go and find a friend who doesn't and encourage them to try it and show them how to do it. I will confess that I was once a podcast skeptic until I discovered Serial. And I will tell you that as soon as I started listening to the folks over there, I was finding new excuses to clean my apartment. You know, I was taking longer routes home from work. I'm on the lookout for a new NASCAR podcast for you, Kristen. I know you're a fan. It's just going to be an hour of Tony Stewart yelling every week. Let us know how it goes. Use the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. That's a good hashtag. That's a great hashtag. hashtag. All right, let's get back to our show. This is a great way to transition into our lightning round. Each of you is going to get to identify one politician who's making moves relevant to the next election, whether that's in 17, 18, or 2020. And first up, Katie Glick. Okay, I have to go with Mark Meadows, uh, of course, a leader of the House Freedom Caucus, uh, really made a national name for himself last week uh, in his role and ultimately stopping uh, President Trump's health care bill. Because I can tell you that uh, conversations over the last 48 hours are really about how we come together uh, in the Republican con- uh, conference and, and try to get this over the finish line. You know, this was not a final passage. This was one bill that was going to go to the Senate, get revised and come back. If it was... Well, 
think the way that Meadows is received by the conservative base is going to give us a decent indication of how the rest of that base is feeling about the, the way that this health care debate went down looking ahead to 2018. That's not dissimilar from mine, so I'm going to go next. I'm picking two. It's John Ossoff, who I've done before, and Rob Quist. Don't ever let it get you down when trouble comes around two Democratic candidates in House specials coming up in April and May, respectively, they're going to give us a first glimpse at the kind of electoral fallout that I think Republicans might be facing from this health care bill. You're up, Patty. I'm going to go, and I can't believe I'm saying this, with Patrick Murphy, who's the former Democratic congressman who ran for U.S. Senate last year in Florida and crashed and failed against uh, Marco Rubio once Rubio decided to run for re-election, really upending that race. Well, this is exactly what voters hate about Washington, D.C. and politicians like Marco Rubio. I mean, this is a guy that's clearly putting his own ambitions and his selfishness in front of serving the people of Florida. This is somebody that time after time after time said they don't like the job, they hate it. So why in the world would Floridians want him again? He's fl- Murphy keeps sending emails, fundraising emails and putting out statements, and they still call him Congressman Patrick Murphy, even though he's not in office. And so now we have to ask, what is Patrick Murphy going to run for in 2018? And all signs point to potentially chief financial officer in Florida. There is no statewide Democrat other than Bill Nelson in Florida right now. So to win a cabinet seat would be a big deal. But once you've been out of office for a couple of years and nobody really knew who you were when you ran for Senate anyway, it could be an uphill climb. (laughs) Anita, you're up. I am going to go with Al Franken. And not just because I want Davin to pull up old Saturday Night Live clips. Think of how much NASA spends trying to take the risk out of manned spaceflight. Imagine the savings to NASA and the country if we could simply hurl terminally ill volunteers (laughs) into space without regard to their safety. Honestly, I could have gone with him the last several weeks. He has really been getting a lot of buzz for the way he is questioning Donald Trump appointees. Uh, If you remember Jeff Sessions and how he was caught up saying that he hadn't talked to anyone from Russia, but actually he had. That was Al Franken. Member Betsy DeVos, the education secretary, that was Al Franken. And most recently this week, he grilled Neil Gorsuch, the Supreme Court nominee, and really got a lot of buzz for that. And so people are talking about him for 2020. You're up, bud. This is easy. The South Texas Tea Party is my pick because the South Texas Tea Party, you know, we're on the the eight-year anniversary of tea parties. Well, this last week, the South Texas Tea Party announced they are changing their name. What? Their name is now the South Texas Freedom Coalition. Wow. They are aligning themselves with the Freedom Caucus and promoting the mission of the Freedom Caucus. They don't think Tea Party is a useful name anymore. Now their name is Freedom. Wow. That's a good one, bud. Bud gets the prize. Absolutely. Patty Mazze, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, team. Anita, it's been great to talk with you again. Bye, all. See you next week. Katie Glick, you got work to do. I do. I'm going to go look up that South Texas Freedom Coalition. (laughs) And Bud, thank you for being (laughs) with us. I hope you'll join us again. Thank you, Patty, Katie, Anita. Thank you to our executive producer, Davin Coburn, and thank you to our listeners. We want to hear from you, so please send your questions and your comments to btb at mcclatchy.com. Tell us what you're seeing in your battleground state. We might even ask you to call into the show. Talk to you next week. Bud, Bubba's? Is that a technical term? Bubba's, (laughs) yes. Bubba's is is very official. I think it's in our style book even. I was about to say, (laughs) is it part of AP style? (laughs) But uh, however... As you all are, 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 I'm sure, understand, Bubba's refers to anyone who lives in Texas outside our circulation area. We would never call, we would never call our own readers Bubba's. 